Welcome to Vanguard Radio. Welcome to VNM Broadcasting. This is the Friday edition of Free Talk Live. Uh, I hope my microphone sounds good. If it's uh, got some problems, leave me a message on the forum. It's hard for me to listen to myself as I do this show. Well, <clears throat> there's not too much happening on VNM, but I'll go through a few things. Uh, I keep on hearing uh, some reports there'll be a new Aryan Matters uh, release from James Hawthorne and Lee Gardner. Apparently that's been recorded. I uh, can't verify that, though. I haven't spoken with uh, James in a few days. If James is listening tonight, he's more than welcome to call in. He's a uh, very much a welcome guest around here. Uh, also, I've heard on the forum from uh, uh, a post that uh, Goyfire 40, would that be 44? Uh, that is, uh, has been recorded or will be recorded very soon. And Alex will be back. Chain and Aegis deserve... Uh, Great applause for keeping it going. They did a great job. Uh, so, anyway, but we all like to hear Alex. I know that calls to this program <laughs> go up quite a bit when Alex is on the show. So, um, his presence is always welcome. Uh, with me, I um, I got a little break from uh, the routine of my life, which uh, part of that routine includes uh, work here at VNN. Uh, I went up north... Uh, to um, Atchison, Kansas. Uh, this is around Weston, Missouri, and Atchison, Kansas, right along the border, right along the uh, Missouri River. It's a really beautiful country up there. It's uh, it's quite hilly on the, particularly on the um, on the west side of the Missouri River. I, yeah, that'd be the west side of the Missouri River, and uh, there's a lot of bluffs, uh, and. Uh, the ground itself is 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 hilly, uh, lots of rolling round hills that uh, go up. They're densely wooded, and of course, this time of year, there's very few leaves left, a few. And uh, I love that stark beauty of fall and winter, and uh, there's something about it that is, well, it, it's cleansing in a way. Um, the air was very clean. Uh, as it is this time of year, uh, the north wind comes in and it's just it's just sparkling. It's just clean. Uh, we went out and um, visited some farmers around that area, and uh, many of them really did have very good old German names. Stoltenmeier was one of them. Uh, so uh, we talked to him quite a bit, and I talked about um, perhaps he want to butcher a hog for me, and uh, said he could give me a good deal on that and. We uh, went around his acreage there, and the ground uh, there, even though it's even though it's hilly, uh, the soil is very dense and it's very loamy. And um, walked around there and on ground that had been plowed, actually it, it had been uh, harvested uh, with soybeans uh, about a month earlier, and there was a lot of soybeans uh, on the ground, and um, we. The ground is like a sponge. Uh, it's really soft, uh, even though it's quite dense. It's it's like walking on uh, one of those padded gym floors, except it's even it's a little softer than that. And of course, uh, someone brought up the uh, brought up assault rifles and uh, pistols, and so we just had a really good old time out there. You can imagine how <laughs> 
how that was. Yeah, it was a little bit windy, but uh, we enjoyed ourselves, and uh, so uh, it was a, a good break uh, from the routine of life. Uh, I recommend everyone do that. And there's still a lot of um, kind of remote, remote places like this uh, that uh, if you can meet someone who's from there, uh, you can have a really good time, especially if you live in suburbia, which I think most of us do in one form or another. I doubt most of us are, are in the cities. All right, so what was going on this week? Well, uh, we didn't talk about it much on last Friday's Free Talk Live, but I'd like to wind the clock back a little bit to last week, and um, particularly uh, last Tuesday. That was November 7th, which is the election day. So what happened? Well, it was midterm elections, and the Democrats took the House and the Senate. Oh, James Hawthorne's here. Uh, let me ask him uh, if he'd like to come on. You'd like to come on. Let's see what he has to say. He gives some... Oh, good. I, James, James is always welcome here. Let's give him a call. James? Good evening, Jeff. Okay. Uh, I can barely hear you. You can barely hear me. Can you speak again? Hello? Yeah. I guess you're coming in pretty good. Okay. How's that? Yeah. Uh, that, that's good. I'm bringing the line in a little bit here. Yeah, James, I was talking about the... Um, and I'm going to run down a, a list of stories here. Uh, a little bit later, I have uh, FS88. Uh, he's the webmaster of FinalSolutions88.com. He's got a really nice site. We're going to be talking with him, and you're welcome to join me, but kind of running through the roster of um, crime stories as they and we're talking about the the, cr- the crime story that happened last week with the um, Democrats and Republicans. Oh yeah, that was absolutely unbelievable. Well, it wasn't unbelievable. It was it was expected. Everything I was reading over here in in the UK yeah. from the uh, from the uh, the Independent down to the uh, screamingly conservative uh, Daily Telegraph. It was a it was a done deal. George Bush, and as he said himself in his um, press conference, he got a good thumping. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you have two, um, when you have the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, it's tw- as I like, like to call it, the twin heads of the same hydra. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I've got a I got a sound clip uh, for this. Um, you know, the white nationalist. Um, I got a sound clip from the president um, the day after this. I'll play here just briefly, James. But right after, um, I should say that the conventional wisdom of white nationalists that I that I heard on the radio shows was is that incumbents of all stripes sh- should be voted out of office, and then especially if they are Republicans. And uh, you know, there's a a minority faction of Republicans that are that. Well, in some ways, are working for our interests, but they're an extremely marginalized group, and and it will be a little bit of a blow to our cause. In some ways, that the Republicans have lost control of Congress, but uh, overall, I, I think it's a fitting punishment for the crimes that 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 party has as uh, uh, the betrayal, I should say, of that party. And so, um, well, let's hear, let's hear, let's go ahead and listen to this. Uh, sound clip I got here, James. 
This is from the presidential news conference the day after uh, the uh, uh, the defeat. And of course, let's face it, uh, however you want to dress this up, uh, the Iraq War and Bush were what was being voted on there. Because mm-hmm. most people don't even know the name of their congressman. So, so anyway, let's, let's, let's hear the first clip. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. This kind of sets the tone for the, for the next clip. Say, why all the glum faces? Yesterday, the people went to the polls. And they cast their vote for a new direction in the House of Representatives. And while the ballots are still being counted in the Senate, it's clear the Democrat Party had a good night last night. And I congratulate them on their victories. All right, so we, we have the opening of the news conference. A lot of people don't don't know how new one-way news is given to the press, and, and this is one of the ways the president has these news conferences. He doesn't have very many of them because this president is not a very good... Um, he doesn't think well on his feet, uh, so... Uh, but he maybe has one or two or three a year. Uh, and this is one way that the, the ideas that the White House wants to forward uh, gets out of the public. One thing about Bush, though, he's, he's someone who's extremely on message. And he's, he, he speaks very programmatically. And, and, and you know what he's been taught to say and repeat, he does an exceptionally, well, exceptionally good job of it. It's almost like talking to a wall or robot when you're debating him. Because he doesn't even kind of respond to the subtleties of your argument. He just sort of just keeps on pounding you with, with the same, you know, uh, prepared statement. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's how Bush operates. And I, I think among some in the, in the public, they, they think that's, you know, being straightforward and honest and plain speaking. But in fact, it's, it's really something else. But anyway, let, let's go ahead and um, play um, uh, clip two. This, is, this really will tell us... What is uh, this? This this will tell you the decider and what the decider wants to do. Okay, here here we go. Many Democrats had more positive things to say about your comprehensive proposal than many Republicans mm. did. Um, do you think a Democratic Congress gives you a better shot at comprehensive immigration reform? You know, I should have brought this up. I do. I think we have a good chance. And thank you. I, I, it's an important issue, and I hope we can get something done on it. I meant to put that in my list of things that we need to get done. Uh, I, I would hope Republicans have recognized that uh, we've taken very strong security measures to address one aspect of comprehensive immigration reform. And uh, I was talking to uh, Secretary Chertoff today. The Chertoff, the Jew. You know, he thinks that these measures we're taking are beginning to have measurable effects and that catch and release is virtually been ended over the last couple of months. And that's positive, and that's what some members were concerned about prior to advancing a comprehensive bill. Whereas they said, show me progress on the border, and then we'd be interested in talking about other aspects. Well, there is progress being made on the, on the border in terms of security, and I would hope we can get something done. It's a vital issue. It's an issue that uh, uh, there's an issue where I believe we can find some common ground with the Democrats. Worker provision. Well, that's got to be an integral part of a comprehensive plan. When you're talking comprehensive immigration reform, uh, one part of it is, co- is, a, is a guest worker program where people can come on a temporary basis to do jobs Americans are not doing. I've always felt like uh, that would be an important aspect of securing the border. Remember, if somebody's not, not trying to sneak in in the first place, it, makes, it decreases the workload on our border patrol. Unless the Border Patrol focus on drugs and guns and terrorists. 
And uh, but that's, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. I should have remembered it. Listen, thank you all very much for your time. Appreciate your interest. Okay, James. In case you didn't hear that, because sometimes, well, I think all the time, uh, folks on the Skype conference call don't hear these clips that I play. But basically, that was um, a reporter asked, uh, "Could you work with the Democrats to get uh, immigration reform?" And of course, immigration reform is what is is uh, is to open the floodgates and integrate Mexico into European North America. And of course, he said yes. And uh, so uh, even though we have kind of a short-term pleasure in seeing uh, the war party defeated, uh, we know that in the long term our interests will not be served by this. And it looks like um, the the floodgates, which were never closed, uh, Bush is is an utter liar. Uh, catch and release is not ended. It's just simply let them in and let them go is the program. And, of course, the guest worker program is just nothing more than uh, making everyone that's illegal legal mm-hmm. and so that, so that the immigration problem then disappears, right? Uh, because there's no more problem, right? Because they're U.S. citizens. Well, U.S. citizens, uh-huh. um, you know, in name only. That's right. They're not... Racially, not United States uh, citizens in the true sense of that word, and the parallels between um, the Republican Party and the Conservative Party are—it's amazing. I mean, these two political parties that call themselves conservatives, they are the, the political parties that generally, believe it or not, tend to open the floodgates to immigration. We all talk about the Labour Party in the United Kingdom and the Democratic Party in the United States. If we were to look at the figures of the floodgates being opened, I would guarantee you we would see the Republican Party in the US and the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom on top of the table for allowing in the mud flood into all our white lands. You know, one of the lessons I, I learned from, from listening or talking with you, James, is that the disaster that was the Thatcher government for our cause. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are some white nationalists who s- somehow, perhaps they come out of a conservative uh, background and, and they somehow have admiration for this woman, but uh, she she is someone who has betrayed uh the British people in this regard, especially. And yeah, I've, I've said on I think on, the, on this program, Jeff, and also on on my own programs that Margaret Thatcher will go down as one of the most evil prime ministers, maybe even e- more evil than Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. She was utterly evil. She lied to the British people. She used immigration as a stepping stone to gain power. She destroyed Britain's largest nationalist organization, the National Front at the time. Yep. She did all this, and when she got in, she opened the doors. Let me see, James. We had a we had a really fantastic free talk live. Um, I'm going to go into the archives here and take a look at it. Uh, go VNN and then click the archive button. And I think it's the show for September 3rd. And we went into a discussion of uh, all these parties 
the BPP, uh, National Front, uh, the Conservative Party, what how what they are, where they mm-hmm. came out of, and uh, I, I believe it's the September third program. Um, uh, if I'm if you go back after the show and in, in, into the archives for Free Talk Live, and it's not the September third program, I'm sorry, but uh, I believe it is the September third program. You know, James, as kind of a follow up, uh, and you know, w- we've talked about the differences between. Uh, Europe and the United States, and I and I think there is some cause for optimism in Europe, uh, but you know here I think it's pretty well established, and we've said it over and over again that the the po- politics cannot deliver uh, satisfaction uh, to us. That is, the levers that work will not further our interests, and I kind of want to talk about a cultural. Um, Something we can do culturally to save ourselves, and and this is mainly here in America, but I think it would benefit, you know, Europeans as well, and perhaps Europeans are a little bit more conscious of, of them, and and that's the role. Uh, now, hear me out here. That's the role that that folk tales and fables uh, can can play in our children's life, because we really have to, James. We really have to teach our children uh, ourselves as much as we can here. We can't let the television do it. We have to turn the television off. And I think, you know, on on a more immediate, kind of urgent, darker side, we really have to instill in them that, hey, we here in the United States, uh, even though we may be 50% of the population right now, we, I mean, I mean we white nationalists are, in fact, a beleaguered minority uh, beset uh, by enemies all around us. And I know that's a bit dark for a child to understand, but I think they're capable of of, of understanding that on on some level, a seven year old, and and I think they need to know this uh, uh, for their own good. Uh, and on the other side, James, I think that we can instill a kind of a positive fighting vision for them with you know something with imagination and heroes, and we can look into our our past as Aryans. And 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 what our ancestors created in terms of a mythology and a folklore, and we have these half-price books around here, James. Half-price bookstores. I think most of the country has them, but basically they're used bookstores, and they have giant selections of children's books. I've been I've been spending a little bit of time in them, and and you can find very a lot of them are actually printed in, in Great Britain, James, mm-hmm. but they're books. Uh, these wonderfully uh, illustrated books uh, full of tales, particularly the Greek tales uh, and and the heroes uh, of the Greeks. You don't get so much uh, the Northern European tales. I think they're a little bit too remote. But a lot of times the gods and the and the and the uh, if they're not historical figures, the gods themselves are just kind of transferred. Uh, they have different names. Uh, in in northern mythology, but you can you can certainly buy these books and you can teach them these heroic uh, figures. And I know we were actually taught those in school. I remember learning about you know the Greek gods in school in grade school, and you know teach them uh, buy them books and teach them about Odethe- Odysseus and Prometheus and Jason. And mm-hmm. of course you can teach them about the the Greek wars and the wars against the barbarians. Uh, how about Leonidas, the king of Sparta that saved Greece at Thermopylae? And you can teach these kids 
this heritage. And you know, James, it's really important, and I'll let you have the mic here a second, because we have all these disparate cultures filling up this country right now, and if you do not inculcate uh, the beliefs and the customs of our ancestors into your children, they will learn the mythology and the customs and mores of Indians, of Chinese, of uh, Mexicans. They will learn this stuff, and they will adopt these uh, these figures as their own culture. You've got mm. to do this. You just have to go back to the 1950s mm -hmm. in the U.S. and the U.K. and the children's books that were available then. I think I mentioned this on a previous program. Enid Blyton, one of Britain's greatest children's writers. What's the name? Enid Blyton. Lighter, okay. Enid, Edith Lighter. No, sorry, e Enid. Oh, Enid. E Okay. Enid and Blighton, B-L-I-G-H-T-O-N. Okay, good. Let's try to put that in the forum so that if there's any parents, I'll, I'll, I'll write that down in the forum thread. If there's any parents out there, they can look these books up. And she's famous for uh, her series of books about Nuddy and, Big, and his friends, Big Ears. Now, when, when I was a child, that was the books that I used to read, Nuddy and Big Ears and and the adventures in toy in Toyland. What's hmm. happened since Ina Blyton died? Uh, the the um, Jews taken over more of the publishing houses. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. The Jewish control of the publishing houses. They're rewriting her books now. One of the books w was the fact where uh, she was in. Uh, he was driving in his car, and he went into the woods, and he got attacked by four gollywogs. The Gollywog. Now, the Gollywog's an old English um, child's toy, and it was looked on as just a, you know, uh, a friendly Gollywog. It was on Robinson's Jam in the UK until it became politically incorrect to have this um, Gollywog on the uh, on on the jam jars. Well, he goes into the woods, Noddy, and, and is uh, attacked by these four gollywogs. That book has just been reissued, and they've took out the gollywogs and replaced the gollywogs with elves. Uh -huh. Now, the gollywog looked like a nigger, right? Yeah. So they went They went back. Well, you know something? I, I kind of pulling the tables on them, and when I, when I, when I, when I see a children's book that I like, mm -hmm. and it's been multiculturalized... Uh, if I have time, I'll take an X-Acto knife. Uh, that's you know, like a little knife with a razor blade on the end of it. Yep. And uh, and I'll cut out all the niggers and Mexicans and and uh, and and mulattoes. Uh, the, I'll, I'll cut out their faces, mm -hmm. and I'll remove them from the book if the book is good. Otherwise, mm -hmm. and I'll remove their pictures from the book, and then you know I'll let I'll let you know children read it then, uh, and because. You know, this is exactly. I mean, you, you got to kind of look. We obviously we can't shield children from this entirely, but you know, we can control our home. I I, th I thought it was interesting the fact that the Jews, uh, when this book was republished and they replaced the Gollywogs with the elves, the fact that it just reinforces what white nationalists what we've been saying about the the color of crime. Blacks are raping and murdering our people, white people. Three apes 
got life today for and it's on the BBC news if anyone, it's also in the forum in, in the UK forum on VNN the UK forum has been very hot lately and uh, you know these three niggers were savages sadistic uh, in, what, 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 in, in what they did getting back, back to the uh, the theme here with um, the color of crime, blacks raping and murdering and killing our people. That's the reason why these Jews took out the gollywogs from this um, from, from this child's novel was because it portrayed blacks for what they are, rampaging savages attacking <laughs> white people. That, that's the reason. That's the only reason I can think of for them taking out those those uh, four gollywogs from that children's book and turned it into elves. Even the Jews, you know, are trying to hide the fact about the uh, what the niggers are doing to our people. Well, James, I, I went on to Wikipedia right now while you were talking, and if you go into the forum thread on, uh, on oh boy, it turned out pretty big, on uh, VNN Forum in the Just In section, I found a, a book called uh, three, the Three Gollywogs by Enid Blyton. Uh-huh. And uh, you sure it wasn't three gollywogs and not four? It could, it could have been three or four, Jeff. I'm not really 100% sure. Okay. But it could have been three. Well, you know, I, I'm sure that we had uh, examples of this sort of thing, too, uh, in our culture. You know, I've talked about Sambo and the Sambo stories, little black yeah. Sambo. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, we've got to, you know, search these things out and... And and let our ancestors, let our children know what our ancestors, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, thought about a lot of things, and not just in terms of you know uh, stigmatizing niggers mm-hmm. uh, as something different than ourselves, which they are, but also you know the great heroic side to our race. And and I'll just before I move on to something else, you know, how many people listening tonight know what happened at Thermopylae? Now we I think we have a pretty good uh, we have an educated pre-educated group among on VNM4 and generally. Apparently the, apparently, the there's a big film coming out next year, apparently, called The 300. Yeah, The 300, yeah. And that's good. I, I, I'm really happy that some of these things are uh, coming back. And, and, you know, there there is, um, speaking of a great man, uh, uh, James, did you happen to hear uh, what happened in South Africa? There was a funeral down there. Do you know who had a funeral, who died? No, Jeff, I don't know. Um, Mr. Pick Bota. Oh, Mr. Bota, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know a lot about him. Uh, I was a teenager, uh, when a young teenager, when he died. And, of course, uh, you know, I didn't... Uh, I mean, not when he died, but when this whole apartheid thing was roaring... And uh, anyway, I'll read from the story here. This is uh, from the Toronto Star. Uh, this is this is the kind of man men that we need. Uh, P.W. Bota 90 was called the Great Crocodile, and he was known as the Great Crocodile because of his stealthful, ruthless, and ability to make grown men, even cabinet ministers, tremble in his presence. P.W. Bota, uh, they call him bullying. He probably was not. He was probably just a, a, a firm man with convictions who presided over the last days of apartheid and some of the most turbulent times in modern South African history, died at his home in George, South Africa yesterday. Uh, This sentence here is very nice. 
He was unyielding and unrepentant, even until age 90. Extraordinary as it may seem today, uh, had a stroke not felled him, uh, in 1989, the historic release of Nelson Mandela and South Africa's eventual transition to democracy might never have happened. Wow, what a terrible thing. Or at least not as quickly as it did. The story goes on to say that um, uh, of, the, of the battles between uh, Bota and the traitor F.W. de Klerk, uh, who finally drove him from office... And then, and then de Klerk freed Mandela uh, during the 11 years at the helm of the racist South African government. Now, that racist is a good thing, uh, listeners. Bota earned a reputation as an overbearing bellicose leader who proudly defied international opprobrium and sanctions to preserve the privilege of South Africa's then 5 million strong white minority. Do you hear that, folks? He fought to the end to preserve the uh, rights uh, of the white minority. This is a man, folks, and he just died. It's too bad. At that time, South Africa's 27 million niggers had no vote. In those days, the country was like a 1950s movie set from the Deep South. Segregation was solidly entrenched, and the right of South Africans, that means niggers, to live freely in the neighborhood of their choice of their country was uh, restricted according to skin color. The same went for hospitals and state schools. Now, wouldn't can you imagine, folks, if we could remove the niggers from our neighborhoods and schools and hospitals, what a nice country this would be? Anyway, um, uh, Bota was a descendant from mainly Dutch settlers who began to colonize the Cape of Good Hope in 1652 and was a champion of the white man's cause. Born in 1916, he became an organizer for the National Party in 1936, and during World War II, he joined the Afrikaner force, sympathetic to the Nazi cause and opposed to the Allied forces. This guy was on the right side of history all along. Yeah. Uh, in 1948, he was elected as a National Party candidate under the leadership of his hero, Prime Minister Milan, and it, who immediately set about codifying South Africa's racist regulations into law. And that's what we'll do uh, if we get our own space here. Uh, we'll do everything legally. Um, anyway, it, it describes him as a master tech, uh, tactician who, who who knew how to work the parliamentary system. And and he kept Mandela behind bars for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was uh, Pick Bota, P.W. Bota. He died just a few years ago. So there you go. If everyone w- wants to see our future, all they have to do is look at Zimbabwe, and which used to be Rhodesia and South Africa. That's our, if we, as a, a white people, as a white civilization, don't wake up to what's going on, to the extermination of our civilizations and everything that we stand for, look at Zimbabwe now and look at South Africa now. You don't need a crystal ball to see what's going to happen. Just look what's happened there to the white people in the, to the white people in, in those two countries. You know that's kind of a hard thing to do, James, in a way, because uh, news from South Africa and and uh, and Zimbabwe is I don't know what you would say other than heavily censored. And the only way you can get around it is to you know, every once in a while 
you'll hear you'll hear a kind of a humorous story. Uh, I remember hearing. I think I talked about this on Goyfire actually when I was a guest. Uh, you know about the power grid failing there, yeah. and uh, you know things like this. But you don't really get uh, the context of what's going on there. There were a few stories about the ethnic cleansing of whites, uh, white farmers mm-hmm. in uh, in Zimbabwe. But you know South Africa is the is the poster child for this sort of uh, white ethnic cleansing, and uh, I don't think that the large larger media establishment will allow anything negative to come out about it. It was you know they can't keep just like in the old Soviet Union they couldn't keep the uh, li- they couldn't keep the lid on what was going on internally uh, fully stuff was coming out, especially now with the internet, it's virtually impossible to, uh, even though managed news comes through uh, the normal television channels uh, to our people, but it filters through, and especially now we're with the internet, you can't keep, you cannot keep the lid on, on this anymore. Yeah. You really can't. It is filtering out, and it's the sort of fear uh, that kind of reminds me a little bit of the Soviet Union in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where they were, the authorities there were uh, extremely hostile to things like fax machines or photocopiers. You know uh, the you know the paper copiers. Uh, they were you know very upset about this sort of thing in the Soviet Union, the proliferation of of this technology, because of course, if you have a book like well I don't know the Gulag Archipelago or something, you can you you don't have to worry about setting up a big linotype printing press, you can just put it on the uh, photocopier and, mm-hmm. and copy it. Uh, but now, with the internet, it, it, we've even, it's even been upped there. Uh, so, um, yeah, we do have uh, little ways to for our message to leak out. Uh, so... <laughs> here's, two exam- here's two examples that's going to happen in the future. First example is when South Africa was under white rule, when the white people ran that country there was no power cuts. Blacks are now in charge of South Africa, unfortunately. Guess, we just, we just had a friend come back from South Africa. They have intermittent power cuts now. That's right. Because these lines go down, and these blacks are incapable of fixing them. They're physically incapable I, of that's right. putting A, positive, to whatever it is you've got to do. They're mentally incapable of it. And there's power cuts now in South Africa, especially in Johannesburg. Other example is the, the great former great country of Rhodesia, which is mm-hmm. now the horribly... Which was a paradise at one time. Paradise. It, 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 it was called the, the breadbasket of Africa. It fed most of Africa, Rhodesia. The white farmers, what, 5% of the population... In Rhodesia, 10%, I'm not really sure what the percentage was, they fed most of Africa. It was called the breadbasket of Africa. Now, you watch, it won't be too long as Mugabe, this filthy ape, is driving off the white people from the lands, the people who used to feed uh, Africa. You watch what's going to happen. We're going to see United Nations food flights arriving in Zimbabwe in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, James, there's... um. Uh, Bota died, and uh, there's another man, another great hero, who still lives. And I want to play another clip, James. This is from Matt Hale, 
and uh, he's a hero of ours that is locked up. I played another mm-hmm. clip last week uh, from Matt Hale, and this is from a, a clip uh, in, um, uh, and he talks about South Africa in this clip, oddly and uh, appropriately enough. And this is from uh, the, uh, a Topeka demonstration. Are you familiar with the, uh, the Brown versus Board of Education law uh, ruling here in this country? Yeah, I am, I am Jeff. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think most of our listeners know this, and and the and I, it was the 25th or 50th anniversary. I think 50th anniversary of that law a few years ago, and uh, I just noticed that someone had posted uh, a clip of Matt I had never heard before. The audio is not too good, but he sp- apparently spoke at this uh, uh, this uh, demonstration against uh, this uh, hostile act against whites here in America, known as the Brown v- Brown versus the Board of Education. So here we go. Let's uh, give it a listen. The audio is a little rough, but it's worth listening to. It's about three minutes. My brothers and sisters, how pleased I am to be here today in the great state of Kansas. Church of the Creator, whose flag you can see over yonder is the flag of hope and salvation for white people around this fair world. The World Church of the Creator stands firmly with our brothers and sisters of the National Socialist Movement. We stand firmly for white people themselves who deserve to have a future in this world. We stand for white people who today have no land of their own but are forced to be subjugated by the other races and by traitors, sell-out politicians like this governor. And let me say firmly at this juncture that if this governor conspires to destroy white people, this governor will pay one day with his life. Let me say firmly that we will not bow down to the onslaught of the other races and the traitors of our own race. Let me say firmly that as long as the blacks, niggers, whatever you want to call it, this sick, subhuman, stone age race, no matter what they say or do, we will keep fighting to have a land that we can call our own. Now the powers that be want to call this hatred, they want to call this so wrong. And if the powers that be will subsidize the blacks, will subsidize the Jews, why do the Jews have a land of their own but white people don't have such a land? Why do white people not have independence so that they can raise their children in peace and prosperity? Why is it that only the Jews get to have that? And the blacks of Africa and the latrinos of Mexico and South America. Since coming to Kansas, I've indeed seen Mexican invaders all over the place. Latrino savages all over the place that should have been shot at the border. The enemy is inside the gates, my brothers and sisters. The enemy that victimizes our children and rapes our women. And we're supposed to love them? We're supposed to break bread with those who want to gut our future and strike us down in the streets? How many white people have to die at the hands of these enemies, these natural biological enemies of our white race before white people stand up and do something about it. Well, we of the World Church of the Career, together with the National Socialist Movement, are here to do something about it. We are here to have a better world for our children. We are here to have independence for our race. 
doesn't independent nation, then no one can logically argue that white people are not entitled to the same independence. If America was founded correctly, if America was founded righteously, then we must found a nation for our people and our people alone. Well, that was Matt Hale uh, from a few years ago. And, uh, I, and I believe that's from the Kansas uh, Brown versus Board of Education uh, demonstration uh, where white nationalists gathered to protest this horrific law that has destroyed our schools and, and forced these niggers upon us. It's just, it's just horrible. You know, uh, James, uh, I, I saw the press conference. The, the, the main lawyer that the, that the Jews uh, had, had go before the Supreme Court to argue this case, his name was... Um, God, I can't remember his name um, right now. I guess his name doesn't matter. Uh, but anyway, you look it up. Uh, he, he, he was later appointed a Supreme Court justice. How about Thurgood Marshall? That's right, mm -hmm. and uh, he was later support, uh, installed as a, a Supreme Court justice, probably by Carter, I, I would guess, and um, Carter Johnson most likely, and um, uh, he held on there so long, and of course, his his mental uh, mental capacity, such as it was by that time, had had diminished so poorly. I mean, he was just a he was just a, a, a puppet for. Uh, the the interests that had controlled him anyway, uh, and but you know as a Supreme Court justice he had tremendous power. There was uh, it takes just five votes to overturn any law here in this country, mm -hmm. uh, overturn the will of Congress, and you cannot remove these people. Uh, it's there is a procedural mechanism in the Constitution to uh, to deal with Supreme Court. Uh, but it, it's so difficult. Uh, one of the first presidents, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, tried to do it and couldn't do it. But um, anyway, let me get back to this press conference. This Thurgood Marshall, when he retired a few years ago, gave he was he could barely breathe. He was on a he was on a respirator, oxygen, and and during the press conference, he he actually peed in his pants. Uh, he couldn't even hold his own his own. Uh, a bladder anymore, and and you know just a few days later he died, and this is how desperate uh, you know these people are to keep uh, their you know to keep these people in power, uh, so they continue to fuck this country over. And they're so desperate, Jeff. They are so desperate. They're prepared to put in prison for forty years. Yeah. An articulate white leader like Matthew Hale. I, I find it. The more I learn about Matt Hale, I, I, I'm. We have, you know, you know. They say that you know you can't shut a man up by putting him in prison, but boy, it's. I think it's been a terrible blow to this movement of ours to have Matt Hale in prison. I think it's. Uh, he just seems a figure that is. Uh, there's a big hole in this movement, and uh, of ours, the greater movement, and and that hole should be filled by Matt Hale. And I mean, he was really in his prime when he was on the Jewish media and he would be interviewed with uh, uh, that horrible individual on Fox, John Kasach. Yeah. And all the, the greatest one I've ever seen him in, and someone reminded me of this just recently on, on the board, 
and was when Mahale was interviewed by Katie Couric, of all people. I would like to see that. I know someone needs to find that and, uh, and upload that to YouTube or somewhere because that really showed Ma Ma Matthew Hale at his, at his finest uh, confronting the, the Jewish media in, in the devil's den. And he was absolutely amazing. He was. Ar he was articulate. He was intelligent. You know, he, he was everything a, a leader should be. And that's the reason why he was fingered by the FBI to be uh, put away for the rest of his life. Well, that's uh, a very sad thing, but uh, and it's it's hard to recover from this, but uh, these sentiments that were so well expressed by Matt are still bubbling up, and maybe not so much in this country, James, but uh, there was a story that just came out. Uh, let me just look at it from the Times... Times Online. That's one of the uh, kind of the premier papers over there, isn't it? The London Times. It used to be the uh, it was called the newspaper of record uh -huh. many years ago. Until that filthy reprobate Rupert Murdoch bought it out, and it's just become another slum paper. Is that right? Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I'm not surprised uh, at all of what you say, but. Uh, over here, I guess the reputation is still kind of uh, hasn't caught mm -hmm. up to the reality. Anyway, here we go. November 10th, neo-Nazis rampaged through German city. Sixteen people were arrested after neo-Nazis, some shouting Sieg Heil, rampaged through um, a German city and destroyed wreaths, placed to mark the anniversary of the 1938 Nazi pogrom <laughs> against the Jews, which means self-defense. By the way, yep. uh, pogrom <laughs> pogrom means Aryan self-defense. Uh, yep. uh, the police in the eastern city of Frankfurt on Oder said um, the group had launched an attack last night, shortly after a memorial service by community and Jewish leaders at a monument where a synagogue once stood, probably destroyed by uh, bombs from the United States Air Force. Uh, the neo-Nazis uh, trampled floral wreaths placed at the memorial stone to the synagogue in the city on the Polish border. The synagogue was destroyed uh, 68 years ago. Oh, actually, they're saying that the Nazis destroyed the synagogue. I don't know. I find that kind of hard to believe, but maybe it was. Uh, 68 years ago in the Nazis' Kristallnacht, or Night of the Broken Glass, uh, they threw away candles left at the memorial ceremony, which had been attended by 200 people. One eyewitness was quoted as saying he saw three of the neo-Nazis urinating on the memorial. <laughs> now, there's a good use. <laughs> That's a urinal. You know, I... I <laughs> anyway, a total of 16 people were detained, uh, aged 16 to 24. Now, that's a very good sign. So the old geezers aren't out there doing it. The young people are doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I just... Oh, go ahead. I just want to remind everybody that the, uh, the the National Socialist German Workers' Party (NSDAP), even though it's criminalised in in Germany, it's still it's still there in the underground. The the tradition and the memory lives on. No, the the, the actual organisation is still alive and well, but it works in the underground in Germany because it's criminalised as a criminal organisation in Germany, but it, it's still active, it, it's, the NSDAP is alive and well, wow. but it, wor it works in the underground, it has its proper propaganda headquarters in L Lincoln, Nebraska, in the United States. 
Well, that's interesting. Is that, um, what's his name, uh, Lauk? Yeah, Lauk, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I first heard of him from um, American Dissonant Voices. Uh, it's a very interesting story, this Lauk. Uh, you should uh, find out um, uh, the Pierce broadcast where he talks about Lauk uh, and and the actions against him. Anyway, um, oh, let's see, the local, uh, local governor said he's shocked. Uh, that uh, anyone who attacks flowers and candles for the millions of Holocaust victims hasn't learned a thing about the greatest disaster in German history. German history? World history? What's he talking about? Anyway, um, uh, arrest warrants were being prepared, said the state prosecutor. We are investigating, and we will find everybody. Um, And other charges include inciting racial hatred and breach of the public peace. Um. In fact, uh, what about the uh, the NSDAP do? Um, because, as I say, the organisation I- is illegal in Germany. They have to work through the underground and work at night. What will happen is certain cities will be targeted, and then up uh, during the evening or late night, up up will go the NSDAP stickers and posters. Um, and basically, what they want. And the program still active, but one of the main planks of the program is for the party to be legalized and to be able to stand in German elections again. Well, that's a <laughs> that's what we can hope for. Uh, that's uh, uh, you know, um, of course, uh, the NPD is not the NSDAP, but oh. uh, they're doing fairly well there. Uh, and uh-huh. this is an Eastern state, so. Uh, you know, maybe. Well, I don't want to speculate uh, because I don't, I don't know anything about these parties. But uh, uh, you know, one one could certainly see a merging of the two if uh, circumstances could uh, uh, were favorable for that. Uh, yeah, I, the, uh, the the comrades in the N, in the the NPD support the NSDAP totally. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it, 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 it's a criminal organization under the Zionist occupational government of Germany. But if the German government were to allow the NSDAP to become legal and to take part in elections, then the, N- the NPD would fold itself into the NSDAP. That's what would, that was what would happen. You know, James, I, I'm... I'm very happy to have you on here, and uh, you're very much a, a link uh, for us to our to our roots on this country. In this country, um, not everyone is uh, of British descent, but I would I would suspect there's a lot of people listening that are of British descent, Scots, Welsh, mm-hmm. Cornish, whatever. And Europe, um, the cause of Europe, uh, should be very dear to all of us, and. I want to talk about this for a minute and and why this is important. Obviously, we all we all know who we are as uh, Aryans, and we we all know where Aryans, the, the ancestral homelands of, of Aryans, are. But you know, uh, I want to talk to you why beyond that why this area uh, of the world is so important because. Uh, it has to do with a book uh, that is a favorite of mine, and I don't know what the title is in Great Britain, but it's Charles Murray's Human Accomplishment, which um, was dedic- which is uh, subtitled The Pursuit of Excellence in the Arts and Sciences from 800 B.C. to 1950. Mm-hmm. And, and I've mentioned this several times in Free Talk Live, and I got the book down, and I wanted to go over something in this broadcast. Uh, and if you don't want to buy the book, it's, it's paperback now, 
and I think it's only like eleven dollars. And and I read chapters. It's a little. Um, it, it would be nice if it would be nice if you had a little rudimentary understanding of statistics, but uh, you don't really have to have that. And uh, I want to go over a few things here, and, and this is particularly in in regards to Germany, uh, Italy, uh, France, and uh, and Great Britain. Uh, this is called the European Core uh, of Accomplishment, and it and it, it does include parts of Russia uh, to a degree, but it's kind of like a line that runs from Edinburgh down to uh, central Italy, uh, and that's sort of the axis uh, of uh, of human accomplishment for the entire world. And let me read a little bit from Chapter 13, which is um, entitled um, "Concentrations of European and American Accomplishment." And he has to spend an enormous amount of time explaining to the readers uh, why there's so much accomplishment in this area of the world. And, and it's quite significant that he has to go through every possible explanation of why uh, this is the case, because the book is attacked uh, you know, because of this, that he, he, he's somehow an ethnic cheerleader for, for Aryans. But in fact, he's not. Um, and he says so, but it, it's just what the numbers come out and, and prove. Uh, let me read here briefly. Uh, the concentration of European accomplishment from the year 1400 to 1950 is easy enough to sum up if you don't worry about complications. The numbers of significant figures, that means people in this case, uh, from Britain, France, Germany, dwarf those from everywhere else except Italy. The chart below shows the distribution. Now, uh, obviously, you can't see it. What I'm looking at here is a bar chart. And uh, there's two very long lines that extend almost to the edge of the There's four very long lines that extend almost to the edge of the page. And the first bar is Britain. And we're uh, uh, a huge percentage of persons uh, uh, who were deemed significant in terms of uh, accomplishments in arts and sciences. The next is France, slightly behind Britain. And then on par with France, and but almost equal with Britain, is Germany. And then slightly behind three of those is Italy. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. Um, the big four alone account for 72% of all significant people from 1400. He's narrowing the time frame slightly. Uh, from 1400 to 1950, and once you add in Russia and the Netherlands, and 80% of the of the significant people are accounted for. That is 80% of all the significant uh, uh, people who uh, achieved in arts and sciences are accounted for. This is for the, actually the world, actually, uh, essentially the world. Uh, and he talks about you know uh, you can't even in some cases you can't even talk about countries. You can just basically talk about people because in in certain times, particularly in the late Renaissance, there really wasn't an idea of Germany uh, as a, as a unit. But he sa- he he goes on to the next page. This is page 297, and he draws this big blue box, and this this box runs from one. It's like a an octagon. It runs from um, Edinburgh, Scotland, down to. Uh, probably some city like Cardiff in Wales, and then it runs down uh, through Paris and ends at Marseille, and then goes over to oh, probably Naples, Italy, I suppose, right around there, and then goes up to maybe some place like Moscow, and then goes over and uh, 
and somewhere around the top of Denmark. And this is where the European core is. And this is what, these are the people who populated the U.S. by and large also. And even though the U.S. is, is far below uh, this, uh, we have a, also a significant rating uh, here. And there's one other thing uh, I want to talk about in particular in science. And there's another chapter here. Uh, this is page 252, uh, coming to terms with the role of modern Europe and and science. And uh, there's another graph here, and and it goes from about 1800 to uh, the year 2000. And there's a little blip around 400 A.D., and that's the Greeks, uh, and it's colored blue for Europe. And then all of a sudden the blip uh, goes up around the year 1600. And then and then continues up, and that's mostly blue, and that's for Europe. And then um, he goes he goes on to summarize this data. Uh, I know I'm going through this kind of fast, uh, but uh, this is you can listen to it, rewind in the archives. Here he says, "Quote: Whether measured in people or events, 97% of the accomplishment of scientific in- inventories occurred in Europe or North America." So the cause of Europe is very dear to us, and we need to uh, remember that. And I hope you pick up this book, Human Accomplishment. It's not a book written for white nationalists, but we can certainly mine the information in there. Tell me, James, are Europeans cognizant of of who they are uh, and what, what has happened in Europe and why it's a special place? I think slowly they are, uh, Jeff. I think thanks to the, once again the um, the great white invention of the internet, people don't have to scurry around looking for their information in their libraries. They can sit at home at the comfort of their computer and they can find this stuff. And I want to give a, a great plug here for Arthur Kemp's uh, second volume of March of the Titans. Arthur Kemp. Yeah. Okay. I've I posted it on the thread. It's a history of the white race from 33,000 BC to 2000 AD. It's a large format book. It must read for all for all white people. It really is a great book. I want to remind the listeners um, uh, of a show note now. Uh, at the top of the hour, uh, we're going to have on FS88, and he's got a great website. We've got a lot to talk about here with him. And he's going to share us, uh, share with us some things. And so, if you're listening for FS, uh, hold on, because he's going to be uh, he's going to be coming on in just a few minutes. People are sending me chat messages uh, asking when FS88 is going to come on. He, I've, I've told him he's going to come on right at the top of the hour. I had him scheduled for about 8:45, but these stories took a little bit longer to plow through. We've got a lot more, but we'll keep them for another uh, another uh, edition. Uh, James, there's one last thing uh, before we get we don't want to get in. Uh, before the top of the hour, uh-huh. and FS8 comes in. This is a, also a story that I got out of a, a British newspaper. It's uh, from The Guardian. And uh, it seems that a, a Japanese gentleman, now we mentioned human accomplishment, that was one of the other significant areas of human accomplishment uh, besides Europe and North America was uh, Japan and China, and a little bit in India too. But, you know, the incidence was far, far less. Uh, but... Um, Anyway, we have a uh, Japanese researcher that says um, <coughs> low IQs, excuse me, low IQs, that's intelligence, intelligence quotient, are Africa's curse, says lecturer, 
Have you seen this story, James? Yeah, I did, yeah. Okay, well, uh, basically, the researcher is accused of promoting, this is the subtext, researcher accused of promoting racist stereotype wins backing from the London School of Economics. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I, is that, that's a prestigious school there, right? Very, very prestigious, Jeff, yeah. Okay. And if I, <laughs> okay, I'll, I was going to make a little joke about Mick Jagger. Now, he, did, he, did he graduate from there? Do you know? Um, vaguely remember he did actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, we can talk about Mick Jagger some other day. <laughs> but anyway, um, he is an alumnus, I, I, I believe, of that school. Anyway, the London School of Economics is embroiled in a row. There's another word that you guys use. We don't. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the London School of Economics is embroiled in a row over academic freedom. After one of its lecturers published a paper alleging that African states were poor and suffered from chronic ill health because of their populations, because their populations were less intelligent than people in richer countries. Boy, that seems like a pretty strong correlation. If you're more intelligent, you'd be richer. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why that seems so astounding. Anyway, uh, Satoshi Kanazawa. An evolutionary psychologist, and of course, for reference here, uh, that's also the same field as Kevin McDonald. Anyway, Mr. Kanazawa, an evolutionary co- uh, psychologist, is now accused of reviving the politics of eugenics by publishing research which concludes that low IQs rather than poverty and disease are the reason why life expectancy is low and infant mortality high. His, publish- his, his paper was published in the British Journal of health psychology and compares IQ store scores with indicators of ill health in 126 countries and claims that nations at the top of the ill health league also have the lowest intelligence ratings. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and what also is a surprise, surprise is the outrage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that comes from the... Uh, uh, the predictable quarters. Uh, gladly, he's being defended by some people at this institution. Uh, but, of course, the students are the ones uh, that are uh, up in arms. Uh, a Philip, a Philippa, I bet that's a foreigner, Philippa Atkinson, who chairs the LSE, that's the London School of Economic Student Union, and the 85-strong Africa Forum, and teaches in the school's Department of Government, oh, doesn't he belong there, (laughs) said the paper reflects the now discredited theories of eugenics and should have been left behind. Eugenics was a very influential discourse for centuries. It was a discourse that colonialism and racism in America until the 60s were based (laughs) upon, and that was part of the basis of apartheid, too. Nobody could prove that there are racial or national differences in IQ. (laughs) Oh, these people. They actually believe what they say. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, would you like to roll a song? Like me to roll a song, James, and then we'll bring in FS? Yeah, that'd be great, Jeff. Thanks. Okay. Hey, I want you to stay on and talk with him if you can. Okay. Okay. Let me find some uh, songs here.
listening to Vanguard Radio.